Welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast. Good Reading is a monthly magazine dedicated to books and reading and aims to help readers discover their next favourite book. You can find out more about the books discussed on today's podcast at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. And welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Dr. Anita Heiss is an award-winning author of non-fiction, historical fiction, and children's novels. She's a proud member of the Wiradjuri Nation and an ambassador for the Indigenous Literacy Foundation. Today, I'm talking to Anita Heiss about a new collection of stories, Growing Up Wiradjuri, Stories from the Wiradjuri Nation. Anita Heiss, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Yira Dumarang, good reading listeners. You and Duyanada Heiss, Baladu Wiradjuri Gialung, Aramiji Bu Brangli Bu Miagandi Bala Williams, Indamaladu Wiradjuri, Balga Balga Galangbu Balagi Bangbu Balambangbu Bu Nurumbangbu, Yindamaladu, Bidjikobu, Darawubu, Matraville, Maine. And uh, so what I've said to your beautiful listeners is, hello, my name's Anita Heiss. I have Wiradjuri belonging from Arambi and Brungle Missions. They're both in central New South Wales. I'm a Williams. I honour my Wiradjuri elders. I'm going to be talking about them today, my Wiradjuri elders, my old people, my ancestors and country every day. But I paid respects to the land that I'm speaking to you from today, and that's a Bidjigal uh, clan of the Darawal Nation here in Matraville, where I grew up. Um, and I'm really thrilled to be part of this podcast today. So thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Anita. Let's start at exactly where the Wiradjuri is. What are the boundaries of the Wiradjuri, if we can even speak about boundaries? Of course. So the Wiradjuri Nation is geographically the largest Indigenous nation within New South Wales. And in terms of population nationally, we're probably the largest in terms of population across the country. The boundaries of the Wiradjuri Nation extend from Coonabarabran in the north, straddling the Great Dividing Range right down to the Murray River and out to western New South Wales. So when we're talking about Wiradjuri traditional country, we're talking about the townships of, and I'm sure I'd love to know where your listeners are, maybe they're there today. We're talking about Dubbo and Condoblin, uh, Orange, Bathurst, Wagga Wagga, uh, where our book comes from, Aubrey, Narandra and Griffith. And I have family in Griffith. I did mention in my introduction that most of my family are from Cowra and Brungle. And Brungle, for those of you who don't know, is a little place, little little mission in between Gundagai, which I know your listeners will have heard of, Gundagai and Tumut. And we are known, the Wiradjuri mob are known as the people of the three rivers. So the Womble, uh, which is known as the Macquarie River, after Governor Macquarie, the Kalari, which is the Lachlan River, which we know runs through Cowra, and the Murrumbidgee Villa, which is the Murrumbidgee River, uh, which I've written about, obviously, in my novel, Beliada Dangalung Duray. The language that you addressed our listeners with, is that a universal language among the Wiradjuri people or a particular dialect? It's our collective universal language. Great question. Um, and I'm really pleased to say that there's some fantastic language uh, reclamation and maintenance work going on, obviously very, very strategically done through Charles Sturt University in Wagga Wagga on Wiradjuri country, um, established by Uncle Dr Stan Grant and his, his late brother, Uncle Seth Grant and Arnie Flo Grant, also with the late Dr John Rudder. And we are really fortunate because we are probably one of the luckiest 
nations in the country in terms of the resources that we have, both in human resources, but in the collective written teaching tools that we have. And, and Uncle Stan Grant's protege is now leading the project through Charles Sturt University. I'm one of the graduates of the course, but I know very, very little um, and learning every day. So yeah, that's that's the language that we are trying to increase awareness about and also teach as part of our own Wiradjuri nation building, or we say rebuilding. And that actually leads me very nicely to my first question, or perhaps not. it's not quite a question. It's from Auntie Lorraine Tai, who says, our culture is not lost, just waiting to be remembered. Yeah, that's true. I love that. Um, you know, culture is a way of life. And I think the word culture gets bandied around quite a lot. But culture is about a way of life. And for, in our terms, it's about connection to country and family. It's very much about the Wiradjuri value system that we live by. And as Arnie Lorraine says, it's not been lost. It has always been there. It will always be there. It, In fact, it just needs to be seen by others to, to acknowledge that it exists and then therefore be able to understand it. We are still engaged with our culture and we still appreciate it. And the, the stories within Growing Up Wiradjuri, which have been told for the first time, which is quite extraordinary because um, Auntie Lorraine and I look think about Auntie Isabel, you know, who's 93, telling their stories for the first time. Telling their stories and the act of storytelling uh, are ways of uh, remembering and celebrating culture, not just for the authors, but for readers, just like yourself and your listeners. Many think in terms of Indigenous culture or Aboriginal culture, Wiradjuri culture, many people think that culture is dancing and painting. And I hear this quite often when you go into schools, um, you know, that's the the way in which they frame culture is around particularly tangible aspects of culture, but it's so much more than that. I mentioned it's our value system, the way we carry ourselves within the community and how we live accountability and responsibility to community. Um, culture is all the elements that make up a way of life. All the work and all the words within growing up Wiradjuri, to me, embody the Wiradjuri values that we speak of when we when we gather back home on country and practice culture. You know, Yinjimara, which means respect, the value of love, which Murumbung, Numbadal is, is the value of, you know, unifying and unity. Uh, Wenangalana is the value of caring for each other. And our values are about the community, not the individual, and living our values daily is living culture. And I really want your listeners to understand that. And we don't necessarily, you don't necessarily have to speak language. You don't have to dance. You don't have to wear ochre, that there are many, many elements that make up culture. And it is alive. And as I, I love that line. I'm glad you asked me that because that is a perfect line, isn't it? Our culture is not lost. It's just waiting to be remembered. It's, it's poetic. It is. It's a, a beautiful starting point. And as I read through these stories, it just occurred to me that the themes of these uh, stories, work, play, fun, family, culture, and of course, storytelling. And what that tells me is that the people and the stories contained in it, we're more the same than we are different. We share those values. I love that that was your reading because I think very much like you in terms of this, this sameness in humanity we don't talk about that enough. We're constantly flooded with media and social media about difference and fear and, and so forth, rather than what you've just really eloquently defined there. And what I love about this anthology is that, in my opinion, the work and the words have the capacity to connect readers with the storytellers. 
uh, connection on emotional levels, on levels of human experience. And uh, it's that sameness that is something that I mentioned that we don't talk enough about. What connects us as human beings? In the anthology, uh, as you mentioned, we, we see our elders talking about families, about their lives growing up on and off country, their stories with humour and laughter is a great way to connect people and these stories have messages. And I think anybody uh, listening who has who is lucky enough to have old people, and I say that with respect, they may be old people who are they're related to or just their neighbours or, or friends who have old people in their lives will know the joy of sitting down and listening to their stories. And when you read Growing Up Wiradjuri, you, it transports readers to those moments within that they have with their own elders, black and white. And I, you know, I've had lots of feedback from people saying, I hear those stories from my old people or my grandmother told me stories like that as well. And I think there's a connector there. And that's when bridges are built and unity and togetherness evolves. Not that this was the goal necessarily. I think of growing up Wiradjuri, it was about having these stories in the classroom really for young kids. It has capacity to build a lot of bridges, especially in the educational setting, but also in older readers who start to understand more about the history of, of many First Nations peoples today um, and what it was like to grow up in this country, especially under repressive legislation. Because while we're saying we have all these things in common, it let's not forget that these stories are about people living under acts of protection that removed children. They are about stories of people who have been moved off country as Crown land was freed up for, you know, for white settlement. One of the purposes of the anthology was to say this was the reality for these old Wiradjuri elders when they were growing up as children. Let's get back to the stories and that idea of fun. And I love Auntie Elaine Thomas's story, uh, Culture of Caring, very evident, a happy childhood where toys didn't matter, fun was made with whatever was around. I loved the Girawu story. That experience scared the shit out of me, but it had a happy ending, although not so much for the Girawu. Yes. Well, for listeners, the Girawu is a goanna. Our dictionary and our grammar system is completely different to English. It's very difficult. So we have an, a number of words for the same thing. So the word that I use for Goanna is Guga, which is G-U-G-A-A. Uh, Annie Elaine has a lot of language peppered through her story, which is wonderful. There is a glossary, but in, throughout the story, you can understand what Annie's talking about. And I will tell you that Annie Elaine, who's Uncle Stan Grant's sister, is a tremendous storyteller with an, a wicked sense of humour. And I can't tell you how many nights I've spent in Gundagai and, and Wagga and mornings telling stories and laughing till we wet our pants. So it's, to me it wasn't a surprise when her story came in that she brought that quality of humour to her story. And I think what's good about this story is it also demonstrates that we have capacity to laugh. We have laughed for two centuries about the foibles of the white man to try and kill us off and our communities continue to grow. And I think um, Arnie's capacity to bring humour and culture through language and, and life on the land with the gugar or the guru and use of language and so forth is another connecting tool because um, like you said, you would have shit yourself. I tell you what, if that happened to me, I'm a city chick and the goanna ends up on, you know, crawling up her arm and her shoulder, I would have had nightmares, oh, my God, for weeks. And I think, again, if we, we get to the end of the story and we think, you know, we don't want to give a spoiler alert, but we go, what would I have done in that situation? And I think it's about placing ourselves in that space. Each elder has brought something different 
to the work. And I love that that humour has come in. Let's get on to Uncle Stan Grant Sr. Now, this story is a really interesting one, a lesson in language, but more than that, a lesson in listening, listening versus hearing, looking versus seeing. And Uncle Stan's story revolves around a teacher trying to tell an Indigenous person what their words meant. Yes. Ah, yes. So many of your listeners, and it's it's all fine because we're all on a journey together, so it's not a criticism. And when I first went, went to Wagga, I remember the first speaking thing I went to Wagga to do, or well, one of the first years ago, and I asked the audience, what does Wagga Wagga mean? And everybody said it means the place of many crows. But the word for crow is wagon, which is W-A-G-G-O-N. So, you know, wagon, wagon, wagon is a crow. So, people, you know, wagon, wagon would be many crows. But wagga, W-A-G-G-A, actually means dance. So wagga, wagga is a place of many celebrations. And it's pronounced wagga, wagga because we don't have the sound A. And I remember that because we were told we didn't have gangs. So there's no ang. Uncle Stan grew up with language. He knew the language and the teacher's saying it's this, this and this. So obviously Uncle Stan was, has been and he writes about it in conversation with Wagga City Council about changing all their collateral, to, you know, because there were different linguists that also went around and recorded things differently. It's one of the main things I learned or one of the many things I should say I learned when I was learning language and this idea of seeing and really seeing and listening and hearing. And the- It just reminds me we might have lost the art of listening the art of really hearing what people say i think you might be right what uncle stan was saying was the teacher just would not listen he wasn't interested in listening to the cultural knowledge and we've seen that throughout history we're seeing that now with the floods and the fires in this country when traditional knowledge has been imparted for centuries the flood in gundagai the the Wiradjuri people in gundagai had told the new settlers when they were building do not build on the floodplains it has flooded before it will flood again and of course and we had the great flood of gundagai and the third of the town drowned only since the bushfires in the last couple of years has this nation started to listen, really listen and hear the importance of cultural knowledge, but also it's about valuing Indigenous knowledge. And I think we are in a space right now, you and I having this conversation and your listeners listening, where I think Australians are slowly but surely moving into a space of wanting to listen because they want to learn, because generations never got anything in the classroom, nothing. Let's talk about Uncle James Ingram. Now, he spent his life working and from a very young age around the house, maintaining Wiradjuri sites, a very important task, I would think, but also picking fruit and vegetables for his family, very strong work ethic. And I was really intrigued by a statement that he made because he went on to become a facilitator, I guess, for people of his area. And he said, nobody knows better what an Indigenous person needs better than an Indigenous person. Nowhere today, we would hope, around the world, would it be acceptable for men to be formulating policy and strategy around women's issues and business for government and so forth. But still there's this mentality that we can't make decisions that impact our lives every day, which is why we have a voice to parliament on the table. I did want to say, though, all of the elders are so thrilled about this anthology, but, you know, he sent me a very special message when he, when he got his copies and he's, you know, just delighted that his words are, are in print. But I did want to say in terms of the work ethic that Uncle James' story is very obviously uh, about that most of the First Nations peoples that I know in my in my world uh, have an incredible work ethic. We do paid work and we do love jobs and they're the jobs that you do for love, unpaid, and most 
um, most elders and my contemporaries not only work in paid roles during the day, but they sit on numerous boards and committees and give back to communities. And I, I, to be honest with you, I can't say the same thing for my non-Indigenous friends who may do things that are involve their own children in schools and so forth, but nothing necessarily beyond that. And of course, there's um, exceptions to that. But by and large, my Indigenous peers and the elders that I know, they are doing stuff beyond their normal roles or expected roles every single day. And yet we still have this stereotype of us being lazy and not working and so forth. So I think Uncle James is a clear example of how he continues to work to give back even at his age. But all the elders, you can tell through most of the stories that they're busy, busy, busy doing stuff uh, every day. More stories. Another great storyteller, Uncle Norman Little. And he's uh, this thing called the rounders game, which he describes like softball with tackling, a lot of it. And what was also funny about that story was the silly part about it was there was a football field 200 yards away that we didn't go near it. I didn't get to meet, I don't think, Uncle Norman until the the actual launch in Wagga, but obviously I read his story and I went straight up to him because what I loved about his story in particular was talking about rounders because it reminded me of my mum talking about the same game, uh, though she's older than Uncle Norman. Mum said it was like baseball, but baseball, softball, same thing. You hit the ball with a wooden bat. So mum said you hit the ball with a wooden bat. Sometimes uh, they used a cricket bat that her dad made from wood, but some of the boys used a broom handle if they had to. Uh, you had to hit the ball and then run from base to base and get there before the ball is thrown there. And obviously there's tackling going on. So for me, as a reader, it was that connection between my Wiradjuri elders and their experiences that I loved uh, in his story. One final observation about all these stories is uh, there are wonderful stories of children at play. And it reminds me that life must have been idyllic at one point before we all came in and wrecked the joint. Well, I think you need to answer that question. It's on not on my people. Uh, I think it's the realisations that non-Indigenous people need to share with each other, these kind of realisations. That's the sort of thing you could put out at a dinner party because we've been saying these things forever, um, but we still we live in a society where some will only listen to and learn from people who mirror, who mirror them in looks and in cultural backgrounds. When we talk about these things, we're being, we're ranting or angry blacks or we're we're preaching. And so sometimes white fellas need to hear those kind of statements from other white fellas to actually feel comfortable in having the conversation. So my challenge then to you and to your listeners is to, you know, have these conversations amongst your own your own friends and family about how has colonization changed the beautiful side of Indigenous culture and life in this country. But of course it was going to be some form of um, colonization at some point and people have said to me in the past well better the brits than the french and i'm like at least if we we're colonized by the french we'd have better food and fashion we know that it was going to, colonization was going to take take place at some point in time but it was the process of invasion um, that impacted greatly and attempted cultural genocide um, and the ongoing attempted cultural genocide you know if we if, if governments and, and particular schools aren't wanting to teach um, the true history and so forth. So my call to action to your listeners is to read Growing Up Wiradjuri and also have some conversations amongst your own peers and family. Anita Heiss, thanks so much for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast. Mandangu, thank you for having me.
I've been talking to Anita Heiss about a new collection of short stories, Growing Up Wiradjuri, stories from the Wiradjuri Nation. It's published by Magabala Books, and you can find it at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. My name's Greg Dobbs, and thanks for listening. Subscribe to Good Reading Print and Online Magazine at goodreadingmagazine.com.au.